I'd love to chat to you about it if you're interested in finding out more. And if we've not be- met before, I'd love to chat to you anyway and just get to know you. Uh, we're going to be spending a little time looking uh, at God's Word, so have a Bible handy. But how about we ask for God's help as we do that? Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, as the uh, psalm goes on to say, we as your people wait in hope for you. You are our help and our shield. Uh, and you our hearts rejoice, for we trust in your holy name. And may your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful. We thank you that by it you made everything. Uh, we thank you that even as uh, the world and we make plans, it's your word that stands firm uh, and your word that can't be uh, overcome. Uh, rather, your plans stand forever. The purposes of your heart remain uh, eternally. Uh, and so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us by your eternal word uh, and reshape us that our plans and purposes and trust and hope would be in your word rather than in ourselves. And we ask that you do this powerfully by your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. We look again this morning at our God, which shouldn't surprise you. You've turned up to church and so the first person you should expect to hear about is God. In particular this morning we're looking at God the Son. Over the last few weeks we've been looking in a series at the Trinity. So in the first week we looked at the perfect relationship, Father, Son and Spirit. Last week we looked at God the Father and this morning we look at God the Son. Uh, To remind you a little of uh, how the Anglican 39 articles open, uh, Article 1 of Faith in the Holy Trinity, it's up there if you want to read along, there is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body, parts or passions, of infinite power and wisdom and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. And in unity of this Godhead, there be three persons one of substance, power and eternity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. It's a great description that that I want to suggest captures the the transcendence of God. That is, how much higher and greater God is than us. He is everlasting and our lives just pass momentarily. Uh, He makes and preserves where we just kind of reshape things that he's already made. Or worse, we destroy the things that he made. But looking at that description of a a transcendent God, a God so much greater than us, it it may leave you wondering, in what sense does he understand our situation? Does he really understand our plight? We might observe a cockroach, but we're transcendent above it to the point where we can't really emphasise with a cockroach's plight, or at least I don't try. Uh, I'm not sure about you. Is that how God is with us? Does he understand what it's like for us? Uh, Daryl Whitmer uh, relates his experience. Uh, One Sunday morning during my eight-month hospitalisation with Guillain-Barr syndrome, uh, they offered to take me to the hospital chapel service. I was in ICU at the time, extensively paralysed and unable to breathe on my own. Uh, Somehow they got me into a high-backed wheelchair and disconnected me from the mechanical respirator. Uh, Nurse Julie accompanied me, periodically pumping air into my lungs from an ambibag as we slowly proceeded to the little chapel on the second floor. I don't remember what the sermon was about that morning. I don't recall the name of the chaplain. What I do clearly recollect 
is the long, loud, rhythmic exhaling whine of the ambu bag every time that I was given a breath. I also remember feeling uncomfortable, anxious and an increasing desire to get back to my bed. That's about all I remember uh, until the service reached its closing hymn. And then suddenly I recall being totally overwhelmed with emotion as the group began singing, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Personally, I don't know that hymn, but I get the point. Does the transcendent God, who is so far above you and me, understand, does he care about my experience? Thankfully this morning we see that the true God does. No better do we see it than in, in the distinctive work of God the Son. So the remarkable part of his work is that of change. So in God the Son's entry into humanity, humanity enters into God. And that affects both how we relate to God and also how we relate to other people. Uh, We're going to touch on a few areas of that this morning. Uh, What is the distinctive work of God the Son? Uh, I want to say he's the agent of change in the Trinity, in the Godhead. So before coming into the world as Jesus, God the Son uh, participated in the perfect relationship with the Father and with the Spirit. Uh, God reveals hints of that. In the Old Testament. So, Psalm 33, verse 6, we read. Uh, we read a summary there of Genesis creation account. So, verse 6 By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. But it's only when we get into the New Testament that what we see implied becomes explicit about God the Son. So, John 1 1 to 3, again, Pete read it for us. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And continuing on, picking it up again in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God the Son became the boy Jesus. God the Son is and always has been co-divine, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit but in his taking on a flesh we see his distinctive as God's agent of change. What I mean by that is, is he brings a new experience to God. For when the Word became flesh it isn't just us, we've got to keep forgetting that, you know, we'll We've got to stop thinking the world revolves around us and get our minds reorientated. It revolves around God. It isn't just us that are affected by the word becoming flesh, but the interrelations of God himself have been impacted. Firstly, when God the Son became human, it gave God an opportunity to express his perfect relationship. So last weekend in the belting rain, I married a couple Uh, During the service, if you've been at a wedding before, you know the drill. Uh, They promised that they would live together as God has ordained in the holy state of of matrimony. They promised they would love, cherish, honour, protect, sickness and health, forsaking all others, that he, you know, the husband would be faithful to her uh, as long as you both shall live. 
They committed to what is the ideal human relationship, I suppose, but they hardly had the opportunity to express it over the reception. At least not completely. Uh, I didn't go to the reception. I hope they didn't express all the ups and downs of that. Uh, God the Son always had that perfect relationship with the Godhead. But in taking on humanity, he has the opportunity to express it, to show it, to live it out. And the expression is humility and submission. So in his own words in John 8, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And in John 14, the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And when Paul later on summarises God the Son's entry into the world to become human, in Philippians 2 he writes, Your attitude should be the same of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself again and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We saw last week God's distinctive, God the Father, sorry, God the Father's distinctive is as a benevolent authority. That is, he leads the Godhead in the way that is best for each member. Uh, and God the Son's role is willing submission to that kind of rule. And he shows perfect humility coming into the world. Uh, just like a marriage, the, the promises are tested visibly in the trials of daily life over the weeks, over the months, over the years. So too the perfect relationship is put to death, it put to test on earth. Uh, as Hebrews 5.8 says of Jesus, although he was a son... He learned obedience through what he suffered. And it's not that Jesus was disobedient and had to be brought into line and fixed up. No, no, he learned what it cost to be obedient through suffering. So when God, the Son, entered into humanity, the real God, the Trinitarian God, that transcendent God, had a new opportunity to express and display perfect relationships. It meant taking on a new form. It meant taking a new experience of suffering into God. It's the second feature I want us to highlight this morning, that new experience of suffering. So when God the Son became a person, God genuinely entered into being a human. He didn't half do it. He didn't kind of do the nice bits and leave out the hard bits. No, no, the gap between God and us was permanently bridged. And so Jesus was born of a woman. Uh, which in Galatians 4.4 means he's born under all the effects of living in a world like this, a sinful world like this, cursed, the, the kind of stuff that makes life hard for us. He got it all. So he experienced tiredness and hunger and temptation and frustration and he had friends and he celebrated and went to parties and he wept over sin and death and he prayed and he trusted his heavenly father and he suffered just like you and I would he suffered. And yet more so. To understand his suffering properly, we we need to look at the cross. Now, not to look at the cross for what it does for you and me, but but to look at the cross to see what it does to God himself. See, for God, the cross is both um, fundamentally uniting and 
profoundly dividing. It's the ultimate expression of, of the son's perfect obedience and it's that new experience of suffering. So when you read through the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, in Matthew and Mark's account of the crucifixion we hear these words recorded from Jesus' lips. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he's quoting from Psalm 22 but it's deeper than that. It's a cry, it's a cry of abandonment. The perfect relationship is being torn in two there on the cross. What's happening is that the father is rightly rejecting the son because the son has become sin and God cannot stand that because he is perfection. Because the son actually becomes sin for us, because he's actually taking the punishment that the world, you and I, justly deserve, at that point for sin, God is torn apart. It's not a cold legal judgment, it's a deeply personal rupture of good relationships. God forsakes God himself. And at the same time, John and Luke describe the cross event as actually the, the perfect unification of the Godhead. So in Luke, rather than the cry of abandonment, we have this recorded. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. And in John's Gospel, he simply records, it is finished. In the light of what was leading up to that event, it's the finished work that Jesus came to do. The cross is that outworking of the perfect relationship, the unity uh, between father and son as they're serving one another. So John 17:1 says, uh, this is Jesus praying before he goes to the cross. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may, be glor- may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. It is finished. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You see, at the cross, God is both united and God is torn apart. Someone described it as, it's the union of life and death in favour of life that God is able to suffer and die as a man while remaining essentially himself as one with himself. The cross is a new experience of God suffering. Because it's not just the Son who experiences what happens on the cross, it's, it's the whole of the Godhead. So God the Father was in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5. And Jesus offered up the perfect sacrifice to the Father through the Spirit in Hebrews 9. It's, it's the whole of God at work in the, in the atonement, in, in putting us right with him. I want to say that's great, great news because it saves us from kind of those bad analogies uh, that sounds like God the Father is a child abuser, uh, which people accuse uh, God of being. Uh, because he sends the Son to be punished. No, 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 because the Trinity are together, united, they are one and the same, it saves us from that. But better than that, the new experience of suffering that God takes on actually answers our concerns about relating to a God who's so much greater than us, so transcendent. John Stott wrote this in his book, The Cross of Christ. Uh, In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it. 
I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and I've stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to look away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to the lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is God for me. He laid aside his immunity pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. And our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. There's still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we stamp another mark, the cross which symbolises divine suffering. God the Son's distinctive work uh, as an agent of change Expressing that perfect obedience, bringing a new experience into God of suffering. But, but even more remarkably, the third thing I want us to note is that, is that the Son brings humanity into God permanently. And therefore, it's a new work he does, a new way of relating. So when Jesus rises up from the grave uh, and ascends, he doesn't kind of leave humanity behind and forget what it was to be human. It's still Jesus the man who his disciples recognise and can even go and touch. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, we, we read how Jesus actually takes on a resurrection body. That is, it's one that's connected to this world, but it's equipped for eternity. Uh, he doesn't abandon us and become distant. He is permanently connected to us. Uh, and because Jesus takes humanity into God permanently, God is permanently changed in the way that he relates and the way that he works and the work he does. And so God the Son becomes the perfect confidant, the perfect ruler, the perfect judge. In Hebrews 2, it's through his humanity and his suffering that he becomes, for people like you and me, one who can help. So Hebrews 2.17, For this reason Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So within God, forever, God is connected to our human situation. He can genuinely deal with us in our weakness. And even more, he takes on that right to rule the world. Uh, So it's a people that, yes, he created, but even more that, he redeemed them. Uh, Acts 2, Peter stands up and he preaches about the resurrection and how the resurrection of the man Jesus shows he is the one who has the right to rule over each one of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, and to rule eternally. Uh, A kingdom one day that he'll hand back to his father because he's in perfect submission. Uh, And because he can sympathise and because he's the rightful ruler, he as a fellow perfect human has the right to judge. Acts 10, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify, this is the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, Jesus Christ. 
In Acts 17, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. And the proof is by raising him from the dead. So on judgment day, we can't appear and claim to God and say, God, this is unfair. You're demanding stuff of us that you've never tried. We can't say that God who can never be tempted um, has no comment on you and me who fail all the time because God has actually himself willingly taken it on. Now God has always been sympathetic. Uh, he's always been a ruler. He's always been a judge. But, but with the work of the Son, he does it differently because he's now doing it both as our transcendent creator and also as a fellow human. God, God the Son has bridged that divide. And that has implications for us. The first thing we need to do this morning, if you've never done it, is we need to turn to the one who sympathises. Darrell Whitmer asked the question from the hymn, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? As the burdens press, the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. And the answer, you haven't worked it out yet, is yes, he does care. He knows the pain and the struggles that you go through. I don't necessarily, I don't, but he knows. He knows how hard it is to stay godly in a world that hates godliness. And so bring your struggles to him. As Stott says, our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. If you're anything like me, when you're finding it hard or difficult, your inclination is to hold it on, hold on to it, to do it yourself. Uh, to think that you know you can deal with the difficulties on your own. Uh, that's my instinct. What I should have, my first instinct should be when I'm tempted to pray. When I'm in hard times, I should go and approach the throne of grace and get relief. When I've failed and I need to come and get forgiveness, I should go there quickly. That's what we all should do. And I expect some of us are here today who carry the weight still of unconfessed sin, thinking, oh, I can handle this, I can deal with it, I'll be right when I turn up before God. You can't. Bring it to the one who knows your difficulties now and your burdens now and keep bringing them. Secondly, I want, I want you to look to Jesus as the model for your relationships. A few weeks ago we looked at the perfect relationship of the Trinity, that, that relationships are ultimate reality. And because God the Son lived humanity perfectly, he's the one we need to copy if you want to know how to live an authentic life. Because in Jesus the designer becomes the product. So he's the perfect example of how to relate to God. So he lived in perfect faith. Um, even when it was difficult, he never acted independently of God. Uh, so he never got trapped like we do with materialism. Uh, instead, he put God's kingdom first and trusted the Father would provide. Uh, he never got trapped by selfishness. So even though he was a great teacher, uh, he served others, gave his life that they might live. So Jesus realised and lived out the fact that real humanity is not in independence it's actually in right relationship. So there's a slogan, I mean the French uh, captured it for us, liberty, egality, fraternity. Uh, when it's used popularly, it's 
generally used for freedom, but more than that, selfishness. You know, living the authentic life in our society is being true to yourself, if you've heard that expression or maybe even used that expression, which is basically, I just get to do what I want. We think that the real authentic life is doing what you want and being independent. I want to say it's a lie and another form of slavery. Uh, The authentic, real way of living is about right relationships. It's about other person-centredness. That's what Jesus modelled. Now, all of you, we're all in a web of different relationships and we play different roles and we have to do different things in those. You know, so I'm a son, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, I'm a worker, I'm a citizen. The, the list kind of goes on of all the relationships that I have with different people in different forms. Uh, and in each one of those, I have to relate differently but rightly. Uh, so at home, I, I need to take on my role as a loving leader. Uh, in other relationships, like with the government, uh, I need to willingly submit, pay my taxes happily. In every case, I look to Jesus and he shows me how to act. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul uses Jesus as a model both for um, wives in knowing how to submit to their husbands, but also husbands how to love and lead their wives. Uh, we see Jesus who's on trial having to submit to earthly authorities, but as well we see him the ascended ruler of all and how you actually lead. Uh, no matter your relationship, you study co- and copy Jesus. Final thing. Honour the son by making him known. The pattern in Acts, when people know Jesus and know who he is and he's risen above, is they want to go and tell people of him. Uh, Yep, they do it for other people's benefit. So Acts 4, there's no other name in heaven on earth by which people can be saved. Uh, But even more, you do it for his honour. So in Ephesians 1, the whole movement of God to save people is in the end that Jesus might be praised, that is, advertised. And I want to say now is, now is the time to begin the campaign. With your neighbours, with your friends, with strangers, make Jesus known. They need to know Jesus and Jesus deserves to be known. Our God is transcendent, yet God the Son has bridged that divide. Does he really understand? Yes, he does, Absolutely. A little later on we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I want you to hang on to that comforting truth that the transcendent God has become one of us and he understands. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, God the Son. We thank you for his willingness to come and become one of us. We thank you for the way that has changed you and for the way that it changes how we can relate to you. Father, we thank you that he uh, both understands and even better than that can help us uh, in our times of weakness and struggle. Uh, Father, we ask that we would be people who turn to him always, uh, seek to copy him and seek to make him known. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. We're about to sing again in a minute, um, but before we do that, I'd like to encourage you, on, on the uh, notice forms you would have got when you came in and you got a Bible, down the bottom there is a response slip. If you have any questions for Mark or if you have any questions about church in general, you can pop those onto the response slip and during this song, a uh, offertory bag will be coming round and you can put them in there.
And if you're a regular, I encourage you to uh, give generously during this time. So that's, uh, I'll just give you a couple of minutes to fill those out and then we'll see. Please stand then as we are sing.
please be seated. Naomi's going to come up and uh, lead us in prayer now. Please join with me in prayer. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he who founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. It is he who made the earth and created mankind upon it. His own hand stretched out the heavens and marshaled their starry hosts. He says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that we are your creation, the works of your hands. You give us form and breath. In you we live and move and have being. There is no other God but you. You are deserving of all our praise. Lord, forgive us for the times this week that we have not acknowledged your majesticness and holiness. Our hearts are sinful and stray from your ways. We've followed the desires of our sinful hearts and not followed your good and perfect ways. Lord, forgive us for those things we've left undone and for those things we've willfully done against you. We are sinners and we humbly ask for your forgiveness and mercy. According to your promises, forgive us by the costly and sacrificial death of your Son, Jesus. Lord, we long from this point forward that we would be imitators of Jesus, that like him we would love you with all our heart and soul and mind, and that we would love our neighbour as ourselves. We give you great praise for the work of your Holy Spirit as it governs us and makes us more holy. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to reside within us so that we are refined and purified to become more like Christ. We are a diverse people here before you with many different occupations and in different stages of life. We pray that all we offer you with our efforts will be pleasing to you. Help us not to trust in our skills or education, but to trust in your faithfulness and love for us. Lord, we know that you raise up rulers and authorities and also bring them down. Lord, these last two weeks there has been so much turmoil and instability in our local government. Lord, we ask that those whom you've placed in leadership over us, our new State Premier Nathan Rees and our Lord Mayor Clover Moore, would govern us with integrity and godly wisdom. Lord, we give you great thanks for creating this community of Kirribilli. Lord, we thank you in particular for our church community here. Thank you for the many ways that the members of Church by the Bridge serve each other and our local community. Lord, we ask that you would continue to make us community-minded, that we would seek to serve our neighbours here in Kirribilli. Lord, we're thankful for the many resources you've provided us here, and Lord, we ask that we would use them wisely. Thank you for the new Saturday night service and for those who've moved to this service. Lord, enable this service to reach the lost in Kirribilli. Enable the the members there to be warm, welcoming, serving and other centred.